steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Maholt. And today, this is our last uh, post-game reaction, recap, analysis episode for the 2019 season as your Minnesota Vikings unfortunately fell to San Francisco 49ers by a final of 27 to 10. So uh, we won't get into kind of like the season wrap stuff in this episode. Uh, Today we're primarily just going to be talking about that game, um, what went wrong for the Vikings, and maybe a few things that went right, if if we can think of any. I personally can't right now, but maybe Drew can. Um, And then we will talk a little bit about the uh, coaching changes that are kind of in the works, and I'm sure that'll be a hot topic for the beginning of this offseason here. a little bit of a scheduling update, too. Uh, this will be the last week where we'll have episodes on Tuesday and Thursday of the week. Um, with the offseason now starting for the Vikes, we will only be doing one episode per week. Uh, and we'll figure out a date on that and let you guys know. So uh, that's uh, that's all out of the way here. Let me start you guys off here with your game summary that you don't need. And I'm sure you really don't need this because you probably don't want to relive this game, honestly. Uh, so Vikings start out on offense, which right there I said I leaned over to one of my buddies and I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't like when we start out on offense. I feel like the Vikings never do well with that. And it did not. It, was, it went the complete wrong way right from the start. Uh, Vikings go three and out. Uh, 49ers get the ball back. Immediately go down the field 60 yards. Kendrick Bourne scores to go 7 nothing. I think a lot of us thought the game was over at that point. But like the Vikings always do, they give us a little bit of hope just so it hurts just that much more. Uh, Stephon Diggs with a 40-yard touchdown on the ensuing drive. 7-7 at this point in time. You go to keep going. A couple punts from the Vikings. A punt from San Francisco. And then you get another San Francisco touchdown. I believe that one was Tevin Coleman up the middle. And... And at that point, for me, that was when I kind of was like, okay, going into half, down 14-7. to seven, The Vikings haven't played that great of a half. Uh, looking pretty good. And then you get the, inter- the interception from Eric Kendricks as well. And this is really where I think Vikings fans at halftime were like, all right, we might actually have a chance at this. And then the wheels really came loose um, after that Dan Bailey field goal. Vikings did not score again, period. Uh, San Francisco started with the ball in the second half, came out with a field goal. You got the Kirk Cousins to Richard Sherman interception mixed in there, another field goal, and then ultimately the back, uh, kind of the back breaking or breaker at the end of the game. Lots of punts in a row, a couple of them when the Vikings probably shouldn't have punted. They basically had conceded the game around the 10 minute mark, it felt like. Yeah. Um, and so that's what happened. That's what it went down. Vikings lost 27 to 10. They are eliminated from the postseason, and uh, they finished in the Elite Eight in the NFL this season. So um, let's talk a little bit about that game, though. So, offensively, the Vikings did not do a whole lot. Let's just start there, okay? Yeah. Uh, the offense was definitely the problem for this game, for this team, and it hurt them in a number of different ways. Obviously, when you're not putting up points, that hurts. Uh, but they also did not control the possession at all. Very few first downs. I think they had like eight first downs all game or something like that. It was the, it was the second lowest or second lowest total in playoff history. 
Uh, just offensively could not get anything moving. And that starts with Cousins, obviously, but then you got Dalvin Cook, too, who only had 18 total y- 18 yards uh, of rushing for the entire game, a long of six after ha- uh, you know being top five in the league in explosive plays all season. And then really the one true explosive play the Vikings had all game was the Stephon Diggs touchdown. Mm-hmm. And other than that, there was nothing there. Right, and I think, I mean, I think it really starts up front. Uh, we talked sure. a lot in the preview about how scary the Niners defensive front was compared to uh, the Vikings offensive line. And, you know, the Vikings offensive line performed so admirably in New Orleans and really helped them uh, get that win. And you kind of wondered, could they replicate that performance uh, against probably a better unit, uh, for sure a better unit uh, in San Francisco. And they just got manhandled the entire game, both uh, against the run or uh, yeah, with the run and the pass, uh, they were just manhandled completely by the Niners. And, you know, when you don't have, especially in the past game, when you don't have a quarterback that's super mobile, uh, isn't really adept at moving around and creating plays on his own uh, with his feet, that's kind of the problem that you run into. So Vikings offensive line, I think, you know, it's been a subject for several years now, but that right. needs to improve quite a bit. And especially when over the last few years, the quarterback, you know, aside from Case Keenum there, uh, the quarterback for the Vikings has been Bradford in 2016, Cousins 2018, 2019, a guy who's not very mobile. And so when things do collapse in the pocket, uh, there's it's almost the end of the play, essentially. So that was the big thing for me. And I'm not taking you know blame away from Cousins or, or, or whatever. Uh, it's just that I think that, you know, that was the major difference that, that I, to me that I saw between the Saints game where the Vikings were able to sustain some drives, get some first downs, and then the Niners game where they were just completely shut down. Absolutely, and the now-departed Kevin Stefanski also had a role probably, well, definitely, uh, in this offense not being able to get going. Uh, The scheme just wasn't working effectively either. It seemed like every call that Stefanski made was the wrong one. It seemed like Robert Sala had him outmatched Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if if you're equating it to a chess match, it was like he'd move a guy, you know, he'd move a pawn and the queen would be sitting there waiting for him. That's kind of what it was like for the Vikings literally for four quarters. Um, It's extremely disappointing, but there's so many moving pieces that just did not go together and I think you can blame a lot of this on the offensive line you know as you noted right out right out of the gate they were a huge problem uh, and we expected that to be a problem with that front four um, that San Francisco trots out and the rotation that they have between pass rushers so we knew that was going to be a problem the Vikings simply didn't have an answer to it they couldn't answer it with scheme trying to you know find a way to get Nick Bosa out of the picture I mean he blew by Riley Reef like five times no Mm -hmm. problem and you couldn't answer that with the scheme because if you're trying to take Riley Reef away, well, okay. Um, then you got Pat Offline, who's your disaster waiting to happen in the interior. So th- they could stunt around everyone. There's nothing Stefanski could do to, to keep those pass rushers to, from getting in Kirk Cousins' face, you know, passing the ball. And generally speaking, that means that they're selling out to attack the quarterback on the pass and that you can run the ball a little bit. That didn't happen either. It was basically a brick wall that Dalvin Cook was running into every single carry. And were there a couple of times where he may have been able to you know, pick a better hole um, or he cut a different, the wrong way or he could have done something differently? Sure, I'm sure there is. But for the most part, the, uh, the guys up front were not clearing anything for Cook to do anything with. And then the Vikings got into a hole, so they just abandoned the running game. And that just puts that much more pressure on Kirk Cousins. So... You know, fundamentally speaking, this offense just if you think of it like a machine, literally like no piece like no pieces of this machine were working. None mm-hmm. of it. They're like you couldn't even turn the thing on. That's just how this that's how this game worked for the Vikings offensively. And 
you know, I saw through I saw a couple of you know clips and whatnot that often, for the record, just kind of reinforce a certain narrative. But my point being here isn't that. It's that I think that Stephon Diggs was open a, a couple times downfield, and uh, Cousins, for whatever reason, was you know unable to get him the ball. Whether it was just a matter of missing him in terms of his vision, or the pressure getting to him too quickly, or something in his head where the pressure had been getting to him, to him so quickly that he felt he needed to get the ball out sooner. Anyways, there were so many things that went wrong, and there was very little constructive outside of that second drive for the Vikings that ended in that deep touchdown, which, mm-hmm. for what it's worth, Diggs made a hell of a play on, or the Vikings wouldn't even score a touchdown this week. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And you know, I think one of the things I'll go back to as well, and you know, for what you know, Kirk had a tremendous season, I think. You know, all things considered, he was missing in, you know, one of the best receivers in the game for half the year. Um, you know, offensive line for the most part in pass protection wasn't great. Although the scheme, I think, helped quite a bit. Stefanski moving him around and whatnot. But from a pure passing standpoint, Kirk was, uh, you know, top five in the league. Really, if you look at the efficiency, the numbers, all that. If you want to look at the advanced numbers, you want to look at however you want to evaluate your quarterback. From a pure passing standpoint, Kirk was um, one of the best in football, straight up. And it's just that the one thing that I come back to is when things go poorly early in the game. It just it doesn't seem to uh, he doesn't seem to be able to come back from it. And this is kind of you know with the exception being that Denver game, where it seems like you know like, like when he threw that interception to Sherman, I, I I just had no hope at all after that. Like it was over. I you know yep. it it's, yep. it seems like mentally he just kind of um, you know hides under his shell so to speak when uh, there's a mistake he makes a mistake or when there's a turnover that kind of really shifts momentum it just doesn't seem like you know it seems like 95 percent of the time they're not able to come back from it kirk's not able to come back from it so right um, and again you know moving forward uh, we're going to get into these discussions a lot during the offseason but like you know is kirk cousins the guy you know past 2020 uh does he deserve the contract extension whatever um i really encourage everybody to not you know base their answer on that based on this game or based solely on last week either like it, there's it's a you got to look at the entire uh, picture here, the entire regular season, uh, both playoff games combined. You know the the, the whole big game thing. If you want to bring that in, that's fine. But um, you there's a lot got, that goes into it. You basically got it. you basically got the true Kirk Cousins with these two postseason games. You did. You, you did. Got the I mean, mix it's, of it's, there Kirk was the, and the, Kirk. Pete Kirk was that feel and thrill, right? Like yeah. right. everything on the line. He's on the line. You're in overtime in the playoffs in a super hostile environment. Makes an absolute dime of a thrill, right? And you know, then of course you play a superior defense with the offensive line not performing well. Things go poorly, and so it your philosophy in quarterbacks is going to kind of uh, hinge, you know, how you feel about Kirk moving forward. But um, in terms of this game with the Niners, it's like it's not that surprising to see the off the Vikings offense kind of put up a dud just based on the mismatch that was the Niners defensive line versus the Vikings offensive line. Because, like I said, between the combination of that, you know, just losing up front every time plus Kirk you know immobility like he can't move around very well and then you know especially when Dalvin also can't get anything going on the ground there's just not a lot of hope there offensively absolutely and then you talk about the fact that you lose Brian O'Neill for a nice fraction of the game as well and you know he's one of those building blocks to a better offensive line and you lose and he's been the best piece of this offensive line for basically two years now right fair to say with the way that he's played. I mean, O'Neal goes out and all of a sudden you throw Rashad Hill in there. And for what it's worth, he 
tends to do a tremendous job uh, in relief throughout his you know tenure with the Vikings as kind of a spot starter, a guy, a rotational guy. But you know, you, you take away your best offensive lineman, and that's just going to create more problems. And you know, that's obvious. You don't need to hear me say that. That's just how it is. And so the Vikings were really just in a hole, you know, right from the start, in my opinion. And that offensive line just couldn't it, it couldn't it could not do anything next to what the Vikings needed. And for what it's worth, when the offensive line did have a good snap, then you've got San Francisco's coverage playing to as yeah. good as it did, you know, all season long. And, and you know, I, I wanna also, you know, the the, the Kirk interception you know, Adam Thielen came out and said it was his fault. And I totally, just by looking at the play, like you can kind of get that sense that Thielen stopped on the route. And I think pro- it probably was just because I haven't looked at like the all 22 or anything of it. But it, uh, my takeaway is that Sherman was just so on top of things that Thielen just kind of gave up and was like, I'm not getting the ball here. And he kind of, and Kirk anticipated Thielen to kind of cut in front of Sherman there. And it didn't happen. So, uh, but that's the th- type of thing, like I th- it seems like, this offense, you know, Kirk, whatever it is, they can't come back from a, a big mistake like that, which is why I was so surprised in the Saints game that with the Thielen fumble, they were able to come back and, and put up points in the Denver game. They're losing big. They came back. But every other circumstance besides that, uh, it seems like the offense just really struggles when they don't get off to a hot start. Because in a lot of games this year, they did get off to a hot start, and this wasn't even an issue. Uh, but in those losses, both Packers games, the Bears games, et cetera, uh, you know, it seems like things got to a slow start and they can't really come back from it. Absolutely. And then you have other issues throughout this game as well. I mean, Marcus Sherrill's fumbled a punt, folks. In fact, he muffed, Twice. He muffed two of them, yeah. And uh, the second one, obviously, the Vikings lost, and that was the true backbreaker in this game. I mean, I, I feel like the Vikings I mean, were... that's, that's telling you right there, where Sherrill's been buffing punts, it's just it, not your day. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Is he the most reliable punt returner the Vikings have had? In, Ever. I mean, it's been a long time. I can't... I uh, mean, not in, my, not in my lifetime for sure. Unless you want to count like Randy Moss when he would return like four right. punts yeah. for the Vikings and one of them would be a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was just it was a it was a fundamental mismatch top to bottom here. And you can it's funny because I saw someone say this, I wish I knew who it was, but someone said this like you could trade the two quarterbacks in this game and the result would still be the same. Because Garoppolo oh, didn't do anything true. for San Francisco. Kirk didn't really do anything for us, and it was basically a I hate the cliche, but this literally came down to the trenches. Their mm-hmm. San Francisco's offensive line was able to get, you know, I believe the Vikings had two sacks throughout the entire game. And by the way, this is a staggering number. The 49ers only lost nine yards on those two sacks by the Vikings. Kirk was sacked six times, 46 yards lost on sacks. Think about that. That's half a football field in sack yardage lost. That's, that's a great way to kill drives. On top yep. of penalties and not getting anything on first down. And Which just... goes back to, I mean, now you can look at these plays and say, number one, there was either no room for him to step up, or number two, he just didn't step up and there was room. So it's like, that's the type of thing that I'd, I'm not going to try and place the blame on that particular thing on one or the other because I don't remember exactly, but uh, that's it's one of those two things. So it's either kind of the fault of like the interior offensive line or just Kirk not moving around, not being enough being aware enough in the pocket to take that many yards in a sack because that shouldn't happen you know your right. sacks shouldn't be for seven eight yards uh they should be you know a three four yard loss five yard loss like the ones jimmy g took yeah it shouldn't be a backbreaker but for the vikings it seemingly always is so uh let's transition over to the defensive side of the football and then we'll start talking uh coaching carousel nonsense uh 
overall defensively, I thought the Vikings actually played a pretty good game. They did. They did. They gave the they gave them a you know they gave the offense a chance. And when I said at the top of this where the offense was hurting the Vikings in more ways than one, you know, obviously not. 10 points isn't going to get it done in most professional football games. But the fact that they couldn't sustain drives was just keeping the Vikings defense on the field for way, way too long of stretches in a row. You know, you get like a 12-play drive by the 49ers, the Vikings would go three and out, and then they'd come out there and do another eight. Like 20 plays in a, you know, basically a quarter or something like that. That's That's a recipe for disaster for this defense. And I thought that, you know, facing that type of adversity, first of all, I think they responded pretty well and showed that they had pretty solid stamina and they had a good rotation going amongst those defensive linemen specifically who tend to get a little bit more gassed um, and the Vikings did a, a pretty good job with their defensive back situation which of course is narrowed down to Rhodes, Waynes and you know Chris Boyd so uh, I, I thought that I thought the defense performed well given the circumstances you know they were able to you know basically shut down the passing game which i think we kind of expected going into this we you talked a little bit about how garoppolo has been you know a bit of a roller coaster and not that consistent of a passer and hasn't been that much of a game breaker but unfortunately by selling out and stopping that passing attack the rushing attack yeah. for san francisco just went straight down the field they i think it was i think there was two separate drives where they called only running plays and the drive ended in a touchdown for san francisco yeah, that's. I mean, I think we also knew going in that stopping the run, especially in the interior of the defensive line, was kind of the big weakness of this defense. Sure. And the Niners definitely took advantage of that. And you know, it, the twenty-seven points is a little misleading too, because even with the interception, you know, they had really good field position there. So, uh, you know, it's it's it, it was definitely one of those games where like if the Vikings were able to sustain a couple more drives, you know, I, the Vikings defense was gassed pretty much the whole game because they were always on the field like right you know if the vikings can sustain one or two more drives that result in points this thing's different uh and you know again if maybe you let's say you take away that interception from kirk and that drive is a longer touchdown drive this game is totally different to me so uh it's it's not like the niners like won this game took this game away from the vikings i think the vikings just i mean they did in the in the sense that you know in the trenches uh, defensive line for the Niners dominate the Vikings offensive line and I think vice versa Niners offensive line is pretty good against the Vikings defensive line yeah. besides a couple instances in, in pass pro but uh, only four that's quarterback really, hits right and that's really the only difference to me like and obviously like you said it's a huge difference and that's that cliche where you win and lose in the trenches but that was I mean outside of that like you said the quarterbacks could be switched and the, the result would be the same uh, you know if you switch a lot of guys from either team Besides on the offensive line, I think this game is pretty much, you know, you can say it's the same thing. So it's just that right there shows the importance of having uh, both on defensive and offensive line, the importance of being able to win in the trenches on either side. And the fact that, you know, if you look at San San Francisco's perspective, they played probably, you know, a poor game by their standards. They won by 17 because they're both their lines just dominated. Absolutely. So you can just see the difference that it makes. And I mean, Vikings fans remember what it's like to have a good offensive line. It's, you know, it's, it feels like a long time ago now when you actually look at it. I mean, when was the last time? Probably 2009 when. Probably the far, well, the far very, yeah. You had McKinnon, Hutchinson, Burke, uh, or John Sullivan, you know, that was kind of yep. the. Both were the very good, obviously. There. Uh, yeah, that was probably it, right? And yeah, Phil Lohold at right tackle, too, for that. Uh, long stretch. Right. That was that unit was good. Like Brett Favre had so much time. Remember, <laughs> remember complaining, complaining about Charlie Johnson 
Like it was just one guy. We we're just like, oh yeah. my god, Charlie Johnson is trash. And now it's literally week in and week out. You can make a case for you know someone being awful, whether it's Reef, Elfline, Bradbury, who's really had an interesting rookie season. I'm sure that's something we'll dissect. Um, and really, the only consistency is Ryan O'Neill. So really. In the last 10 years, the Vikings have just kind of flipped. Instead of having one week on the, on the offensive line, now they got four. And that's that's kind of the way that it showed up today. And Yeah, and it's just a bad fit when you got a quarterback that can't yeah. move around very well. That combination is just, especially when you play a good pass rushing unit, that is you can get exposed pretty easily. And so for as good as Kirk is passing the ball, like, you know, you're limiting that ability and that potential when you have no mobility plus an offensive line that can't protect. And so you're... You know, I still believe Kirk as a passer is like top five in the league, but there's just so much extra that goes into the quarterback position that, um, and you know, it, it, again, another conversation probably for another day, but like, it's all about, do you want to, can you, can the Vikings win with a quarterback where he needs a great situation or do you prefer to kind of blow things up and find the quarterback who could do things on his own? And that's the conversation that I'm sure it's already started. The debates that if you have, if you're a little bit, uh, a little bit active on Vikings Twitter. You've already seen the debate started. <laughs> uh, just one more note here. I, I just I just noticed this. Five different defensive linemen from that rotation for the San Francisco got a sack on Kirk Cousins yesterday, or on Saturday, which is just insane it. to me. Even Solomon yeah. Thomas, who I trashed on the preview podcast, which I guess anyone that I trash on. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. I think it's right? funny that we, you know, we, we tried to split this up half offense, half defense, and then we talked about the Vikings defense for like four minutes, and then we went back to the Vikings offense, which I think that's <laughs> it's telling, though, because like, the Vikings defense performed pretty much how we expected. Against yeah, you them, got a De- right? you got your Daniil Hunter sack. He was in the backfield consistently. He had a couple quarterback hits as well. Kendricks you know, made it play as as you know, which is a beautiful interception. One yeah. of the best you can see a linebacker make. I mean, I remember. I'll say this about Eric Kendricks. When he was coming out of UCLA, and that was, I think that was the first year that we were doing draft stuff. It was definitely my first year doing draft stuff. Um, I was writing for Bleach Report, and he came out and he was like five foot eleven and like two hundred and ten pounds or something like that, which so tip technically uh, considered to be undersized as a linebacker. His coverage skills really stood out to me, and they really stood out to I think you know the majority of people. And I think there's a very strong case that he should have been. You know, a first-round pick where the Vikings took Trey Waynes instead of the vice versa, and it's still showing up now. However many, not however many years later, and this really is the pinnacle moment. And it's too bad that you know the Vikings couldn't go further this year because this really is the best you're going to see Eric Kendricks play. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, he, you might get a couple more good years of this, like this style and this level of excellence. But this is probably the peak of his entire career. And that moment, that interception, you know, it was huge at for, at the time. The Vikings get that interception. If they were able to drive down and score a touchdown on that drive, tie this game up at 14 going into half, I mean, we could play what if all day long, but that, this game definitely looks a lot different if he gets that. If the Vikings are able to drive down and get a touchdown there instead of, you know, getting seven instead of three. And yeah. at the time, it felt like that was just a big three points period. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect the Vikings to not score again in the entire <laughs> game. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was overall, it, it was a very solid defensive showing. There's a couple of missed tackles, too. There's a couple of moments. I think Eric Wilson had one where that had me shaking my head. And, you know, any time a, def- a defense allows an offense to run the ball down their throat for nine consecutive plays that ends in a touchdown, yeah, yeah that's, not, that's not a good look. And But that's a lot. A lot of that is just on guys like Shamar Steffen, who I think we all already kind of knew was a replacement-level player at best. So 
there are, there are still question marks on this defense. Xavier Rhodes didn't alleviate all the concerns by just having you know a solid day in coverage against what Kendrick Bourne and well the Debo Samuel who by the way runs really really hard. And I was extremely impressed with his style of play just watching that game. Um, it, it, there's still problems with this defense, but I, I I do think that that was the strength of this team even in a 17 point loss in which the team allowed 27 points somehow. It was still Mike Zimmer's defense that was kind of giving them a chance, giving Vikings fans hope. Yeah. Um, there's multiple moments of of that, and unfortunately, um, down the stretch, they were just they were gassed. They really were. Yeah. That was just, that's all. That's I mean, you all can't score ten points. You can't score ten points and win. You just that's not going to get it done. And three of those points were gifted from Jimmy G. So right. essentially, they scored seven points on their own, and that obviously is not anywhere near what you should be doing to to win a game in the playoffs on the road uh, against the one seed. So ultimately, the Vikings were beaten in all three phases, and that's that's a good that's a good way to lose a football game, which the Vikings did. So um, the uh, the season is over. Unfortunately, we have to wait till September until we're talking about regular season football again, which is really for me always the most disappointing part of the year. Uh, not necessarily the fact that the Vikings lost, but the fact that I have to wait, you know, whatever seven months or eight months mm-hmm. um, to watch them play again. So that's disappointing, but um, hopefully we'll be able to fill that time with uh, some quality content here and. Um, the off season kind of started immediately. I don't think that I don't think we were really expecting it to kind of come up on us so quickly. I mean, the game ended on Saturday, and we're already talking about multiple coaches being replaced for for Mike right. Zimmer's staff. So that's what I want to talk about today. We'll spend the rest of this you know session or whatever um, talking about Kevin Stefanski leaving for the Cleveland Browns and uh, the other names, um, the guys that might be the Vikings might be looking Joining to replace him. them. And then also, yeah, the guys that uh, seemingly will be joining him in Cleveland as well. So let's start with Kevin Stefanski. Uh, I said this on Twitter during the game. Not a great job interview uh, for Stefanski against San Francisco. I honest, honest to God, like this isn't biased just because he's gone now. He did not call a good game. His scheme does not was not effective. He did not make good adjustments throughout. He was unable to get his playmakers involved. He couldn't get his quarterback, you know, out of pass rushing hell. Um, he didn't call a good game straight up. And the prop, the the kind of the interesting swing on this is that he was calling this game against Robert Sala on the other side, who yeah. also interviewed for the same position that Kevin Stefanski was just hired to in Cleveland. Ultimately, none of this matters, but. Um, that's the situation that the Vikings are now facing. He is the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. He has not officially been introduced yet, but that is um, in, I believe it's in writing at this point, and that'll be coming sooner enough. Uh, the question at hand now is which guys are he, he's going to be taking with him, which is interesting because Mike Zimmer, like literally two weeks ago, just made kind of a, a joke, but also serious comment about how he doesn't like when coaches leave and then disrupt his entire staff kind of seems like that's what Kevin Stefanski is doing right now. Well, that and now Jerry Gray and uh, George Edwards, too, like those guys. And, you know, Drew Petzing as well, the wide receivers coach. Yeah. And you can I mean, I, I think it's fair to also say that these guys have especially the defensive guys are kind of they have probably earned a shot at a bigger role. Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. And there's just nowhere you know, the fact that Zimmer is the, the head coach and that defense has been so consistent and there's just not room to like be promoted. There hasn't right. been right. Like Edwards has gotten some head coach interest over the past few years, but has nothing's come of, come of it. Um, and if that were to happen, you know, that defense coordinator role would open up and that's where these guys, I think, you know, like the gray and uh, Andre Patterson, have been kind of waiting for that. So uh, I think next now is, you know, who's going to be defensive coordinator. It sounds like it might just be Mike's son, Adam. 
uh, stepping in. Uh, he's the linebackers coach now, and I mean, it makes sense. You know, it, it, I don't know how you guys feel, but like the family, the nepotism element, lineage. Of it. Yeah, because you got the Kubiaks on the offensive side, and you got the Zimmers on the defensive side, pretty much now. Um, you can feel about that how you want, but it seems like Andre Patterson definitely deserves at least a look for that defensive coordinator role yeah. uh, for the Vikings. But now, and you know, now you got uh, George Patton. I think that's how you say his last name, Patton. Peyton interviewing for the Browns GM job. So it just seems like Cleveland's going to kind of take all the Vikings coaches and, and uh, executives. Cause now you got, you know, what if George Edwards goes there? It's, I know that's been discussed too as a defensive coordinator in Cleveland. And you could have potentially Stefanski uh, Edwards, that defensive coordinator, Mike Prefer is currently there as special teams coach. And then you have Peyton as a GM. That would be certainly something. And I would become kind of a de facto Browns fan for that. Yeah. I mean, I already like the Cleveland Browns. I don't like them taking, you know, our, best coaches and executives, but um, I think they're a likable team generally. I mean, I think a lot of you probably think differently now because of Baker Mayfield and some of the thing, Odell Beckham maybe might be another point of interest for people. They're entertaining, that, for they're sure. They're definitely entertaining, and I do like the Browns, and I always hope that they win because they always lose. So um, Maybe it's good that they hired a coach that necessarily has I – mean, he's kind of a boring personality. <laughs> like, at least – I guess I don't know the guy, so I, that, that's maybe probably a wrong assumption, but like – he, based on everything we know and like that, when they show him on like TV and stuff, like he's not doing a whole lot. It's not a lot of range of emotions, and his ego seems pretty small, which might might be what they need. But also, like, it, it's it's different than Freddie Kitchens. I think I'll say that it's definitely that. So Stefanski, I feel like a lot of Vikings fans, ourselves included, were sort of expecting this to come. Not necessarily to Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland was you know kind of the front runner coming in. Given that Science, he was the, maybe. yeah, he was the Stefanski was the runner-up last year to Freddie Kitchens, which you know kind of feels like a backhanded way to get your first head coaching position. By the way, uh, yeah, to go for it does. Him. I didn't even really think about that, but yeah. like, just oh, to, you're the, yeah, I was the second choice, but I guess I'll do it anyway. I'll do it this time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I've had that type of uh, situation present itself in the professional world before, and for what it's worth, I did the same thing Stefanski did. But uh, I do think that it's kind of you know not. <clears throat> Not the greatest way to get your first gig, but he is considered a wonderkind, and um, he's you know young, and he fits the bill for everything that um, you know coaches are being hired for in this right now, uh, kind of in this cycle that we've had the last couple yeah. of years of head coaching switches. Now, so a lot of us expected that to happen. Most of us did, I think. Uh, so he's gone. We're cool. With, most of us are cool with Stefanski leaving. The Vikings have a nice immediate option in theory with Gary Kubiak. Um, and also his son, Clint Kubiak, as well. So then you've got George Edwards now, who I agree with you. He's sort of outgrown the position. You can't go any higher because Zimmer's not going to relinquish yeah. play calling I mean, I duties. think at the least he deserves a, a chance to call plays defensively. Right, and his somewhere. contract also expired. Like, this isn't like we're firing you because the defense wasn't good enough. This is more like we're not bringing you back because you've outgrown this role. And well, I think he also just wants that chance, you know. For like, sure, he definitely he definitely it. has outgrown it as well. His potential is limited in Minnesota, and that goes for Jerry Gray, and that goes for Andre Patterson too. I guess yeah. before Edwards left, it kind of it was the same thing where these guys were, you know, as long as that D coordinator position was filled by a guy that was doing it well, and you know you have a defense bad coach, you're, you're it's just limited by its nature, and so these guys are. I think I think you know they're just it's not necessarily the Vikings trying to get rid of them. It's just they want to 
they have a better – they want a bigger role. Yeah, they want more opportunities. They want to make more money. I mean, who yeah. doesn't want those two things, right? Opportunities and money. That sounds like a recipe for a good life, generally speaking. So, um, okay, so George Edwards leaves. I can stomach that. We've broken that down. It makes sense why he'd want to go. Okay, so he's gone. It's the fans. He's gone. This is where I start to have a problem. I did not want to lose Jerry Gray. Now, for those of you who are not deep into coaches, as you probably shouldn't be, you kind of have to be a bit of a nerd to be really deep into like position coaches for teams. Jerry Gray has been with the Vikings since Mike Zimmer was hired in 2014. He's a defensive backs coach. He has been one of the, one of the best in the league, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the, that span. So what it's been about six years now. So he's developed guys like Xavier Rhodes. He's gotten the best out of, you know, other players who really were well over their head. You know, you think about the early corners in Mike Zimmer's tenure, and for whatever reason, the Vikings defense was able to shift from being a awful, awful defense from when he took over to being a quality defense by year two. Yeah, that you can thank Jerry Gray for a lot of that development. Thank him for, you know, Anthony Harris as well, safety. You know, mm-hmm. Harrison Smith, the way that he's played. I know that Smith was here before even Gray was here. But point being, hell of a defensive backs coach. Uh, and he... This was a guy that I always thought had defensive coordinator written all over him. I thought he was – be- let's just be real here. George Edwards doesn't rank very high in terms of my vision of who the best defensive coaches are on the Vikings. Generally speaking, I think Zimmer, Patterson, Jerry Gray, then George Edwards. So I could stomach Edwards leaving, but I wanted to see Jerry Gray, Gray retained. But again, this is – like you said, there's not a whole lot of – you can be named defensive coordinator and you can make more money in that title, but maybe Jerry Gray is looking to call plays. You know, yeah. I well, don't think he did a poor job. Too, the, the way the timeline worked, Edwards left, you know, was it 12, 24 hours, like somewhere in there, hours before the Jerry Gray news came out. So I'm assuming what happened was Gray was like, oh, you know, can I be the defensive coordinator now? You know, and I think the Vikings probably have given the name of who that's going to be and it wasn't Jerry Gray or they've, They've kind of said they have a couple of guys in mind. You're kind of low on our list, whatever the case may be. And so he's like, all right, I'm out of here. I want to see if I can get something else. You know, I think that's probably what happened. And because like you said, he's been. He's been good. He's been extremely good. Defense has been, you know, top five, top 10 uh, annually for five, six years now. And a lot of that is due to Harrison Smith being elite. And now Anthony Harris being elite. Xavier Rhodes had, you know, two to three exceptional seasons. Uh, Trey Wayne's had a really good 2017 season. Um, you, you can go on and on with their defensive backs over the years, but uh, you know Jerry Gray's been that guy who's been kind of installing that, uh, you know, with these defensive backs in Zimmer's system. So I don't like it, you know, but that's the way the business goes, and uh, now you kind of have to replace those guys, replace those roles, and find somebody too that will, you know, work at that role with the commitment that Gray did under Zimmer, which, you know. I don't think that's easy to find. So let me ask you this. I think I already know the answer based off of your previous responses to this line of, you know, questioning, I suppose. Um, Do you buy into the scapegoat theory at all, that Jerry Gray and George Edwards are the scapegoats for the Vikings season, essentially? Or do you think that, Uh, or are you sticking with the idea that they left because it was just... Yeah, I I don't think think it's one of those where Zimmer... Because um, there's swirl, there's yeah. ideas there's a, there's being ideas thrown out there, right? I think, right. Well, I mean, for me, I think it's just these guys wanted a better opportunity. Uh, that's what I uh, think too. And I mean, there's other theories out there, like uh, you know, you could say, well, uh, it's either Zimmer. I think that I saw someone today say something like, 
you know, the ownership tell went to Zimmer and said, it's either you or, you know, your staff, right. you know, I saw that too. Yeah. Um, something like that. You know, there's, there's ideas out there. Uh, I really just think these guys just wanted a better opportunity and they they saw their potential in Minnesota was limited just because of how successful this defense has been year in and year out. And you have a head coach that's defensive. And so by it's that nature, you're limited in, in the roles that you can, you know, be promoted in with this team. Right. So that's, I think that's what it comes down to. And um, yeah, it, you know, I, I think there's also maybe part of them too that realizes and maybe thinks looking at this roster, looking at the cap space situation, which is terrible. I'm thinking, well, this team, you know, probably will regress next year. You know, there's a good chance of that based on, you know, you're going to lose a lot of key players, I think, based just because you need to clean cap space up. Um, I, I think, you know, they maybe have seen, okay, this, the team, this team's window or peak or whatever uh, is kind of falling away now. And I need to f- go maybe find a, a team, find a situation that's going to be on the come up versus one that's on the decline. For sure. So uh, to recap here, the Vikings have now lost Kevin Stefanski, their offensive coordinator, George Edwards, their de facto defensive coordinator, Jerry Gray, their defensive backs coach. Um, also the wide receiver coach, Drew Petzing is officially gone or he has said that he's not returning to the Vikings. Uh, that's just a bunch of expiring contracts leaving. Nobody was fired by the way. Um, ultimately, it seems like all of those guys might join Stefanski in Cleveland, or at least Edwards and uh, the wide receivers coach Petzing. That's what that's, that's how it sounds as of right now, and that leaves you know in Minnesota. Let's talk about those you know, how those roles will be replaced now. The position groups are a little bit more, in my opinion, they're a lot more difficult to predict because position groups tend to come from all over the place. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't have any hot name for the fight for the I've Vikings got a name wide receiver. Coach, I've got a name for DB's coach okay. potentially. So, defensive coordinator reportedly, it's not set in stone yet, but it will be filled by Adam Zimmer. You know, like you said, the linebackers coach and Mike Zimmer's son. Um, you've also got the offensive coordinator slot open. So, let's say defensive coordinator is closed. You've, that means that you've got offensive coordinator filled. You need to fill that position. You need to fill defensive backs. Um, and you also need to fill wide receivers. So hit me with what you would do with Jerry Gray's absence. Well, so now I, I, this is, I, again, we, I don't even know if this person would be interested. I know that they've helped in the past with uh, coaching and whatnot, but Terrence Newman is the name that I had been thinking of. They actually just tried him out for, like, yeah. to be on the roster. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. Uh, but I know he, I think, did he coach a little bit last year? Yeah. Or something? He was on the coaching staff? Last year, uh, Um but that's a guy that, you know, he has worked with Zimmer, like, what, three different stops now? I think Dallas, Cincinnati, and um, and Minnesota, you know, clearly very familiar with what Zimmer likes out of his defensive back. So that's the first name that comes to my mind now. I don't know if he's interested in coaching or not. I have no idea. But uh, the fact that he has taken an interest in a coaching role before, I don't know, that's the that's the first uh, tree I guess I'd bark up at the, for a defensive backs coach. But the offensive, offensive coordinator, I think you just stick with, uh, you know, you you I think promote Clint Kubiak probably to that role just because I'm so sick of the the turnover and everything. Getting a new offensive coordinator every single year it it's not easy on your quarterback. And when you're Zimmer paying the guy, also noted that as well, right? And you when you're paying the guy 84 mil to be the face of your franchise, the last thing you want is to have an, an additional complication there in terms of learning a new system, new language. I, I just promote Clint Kubiak. Although there are some good options out there, you know, Pat Shermer has been talked about. He's apparently gone to Denver, though, which eliminates, you know, that was my that was my personal favorite. Okay. See, I didn't even I didn't even like that, to be honest. I, I 
I just always I think it's just, you just promote Clint Kubiak to that. And You've then... also got Jay Gruden out there who. Okay, I want to I want to make this I want to note this real quick. So for those of you listening that um, are believers in bringing in Jay Gruden to be the offensive coordinator, your thinking is fair and it's rational. Uh, Zimmer coached with him when he was in Cincinnati as the offensive coordinator on Marvin Lewis' staff. That's mm-hmm. the connection that a lot of people Plus, make, and they uh, see I Kirk, mean, Kirk Cousins. Kirk in his... yeah. Okay, but that so that part of it is what I kind of ha- I raise an eyebrow at because I know that Jay Gruden picked Kirk Cousins over Robert Griffin, and it was you know very scandalous, and you know that was a big te- big deal at that time. But Jay Gruden also didn't like you know. He he was not the biggest Kirk Cousins supporter either. He franchised him multiple times. You know, it yeah, seemed like were, he was always trying to was, get rid of him. He seemed he was kind of leading the train to be like you know reluctant to kind of give that long term deal. Right, right. So I just don't see for those of you out there, and if if you're listening to this and you are a Jay Gruden supporter, let me know because I just don't I don't understand how you're seeing it that way. But that's the other name that comes out there just naturally. But I, I'm with you. I think Clint Kubiak is probably the best possible answer here, and. To me, it's funny. It's very funny to me to have head coach and assistant head coach be, you know, Zimmer and Kubiak, as you stated before, and then having the Kubiaks on offense and the Zimmers on defense. I'm cool with that for a couple reasons. One, Zimmer's one of the best defensive play callers of this generation. You know, you can make an argument for a longer period of time if you want, and I'm sure at the end of his tenure with the Vikings, we might just do that. And Kubiak is a Super Bowl winner who has. You know, not revolutionized offenses in the NFL, but certainly put his stamp on the NFL and his style of coaching has its own tree underneath it. You know, he's got successful guys that have worked underneath them. You know, these are two very smart guys that are, quote, heading the operations. And you've got two smart, innovative individuals who have been around football basically their entire lives, you know, putting their little twists and spins on things. So to me, that's a good recipe. The question is the nepotism involved. Yeah. So. It's just really – it's interesting to have a father-son duo on both sides of the ball that are basically like they're operating in cahoots, but like what if they disagree? Can you imagine like a parental battle in the Vikings locker room? Like it's it just it's, – it's a very weird line to toe. And this – honestly, this is one of the few connections you can make from sports to the real world. It's just weird when your dad's your boss or, you know, if your dad is telling you what to do and how you should do it and you disagree – like, how do you do that on a professional level, too? That's the situation. I'm not about that the, to answer that. I, I have no idea. Right, like, and that's my point. But this is the these are questions that the Vikings are going to have to face. Like, these are, it's just, this is a weird situation, folks. This is very, very strange to have. That's what we're lining it up to be. It's In another situation, I mean, I'm, this is more just looking at it logistically. Like, if Clint is the offensive coordinator, but Gary is the assistant to the head coach, I, I, how does this work? Who has the authority over one there? Like, I don't even... There maybe there isn't any authority. I don't, I don't know, but like, there's there's yeah there's just a lot of there's a lot to figure out. It's weird. It's, it's it's a strange situation, and then ultimately you have to fill a couple of positions. Plus, if I'm Andre Patterson, I'm feeling a little, you know, disrespected if they just kind of hand the defensive coordinator spot to Adam Zimmer. But because Andre Patterson has been tremendous as well over the past, been maybe years. the best in the business developing defensive linemen. And Daniil Hunter is the hallmark stamp on that one. Yeah. So, um, it's yeah, it's, that's a weird situation too. And honestly, like if if, if it was me, and my, I look at my options, and I'm going to hire internally to be the defensive coordinator, Patterson is my guy, like no doubt. I wouldn't think twice. I don't. I'm not thrilled about the idea of Adam Zimmer being the Vikings' defensive coordinator, but I also recognize that it's a de facto position. This it, the defense is Mike Zimmer's toy, and he meddles in it, may probably too much for. 
you know, a lot of our liking relative to what head coaches tend to do. He doesn't delegate enough. Let's just put it that way. Um, and that pisses some people off. So that's the situation that we're staring down. Uh, I will, you know, certainly review um, some of these, uh, you know, potential uh, position coaches that the Vikings will be hiring. Um, but really, for me, the big one is Jerry Gray being gone. Keep an eye on that and how that affects the development of these young corners who have been working with him, and also the older corners who have been basically with him his entire career. Um, it's a, it's, it's an interesting situation, and you know, ultimately, this is. The Vikings are saying reload. This is starting to feel like a rebuild to me. It is. It is. Um, it's starting to feel like a, a start over and redo things. But uh, it doesn't. To me, I, it just doesn't seem like the Wills are going to want to do the completely re, the reload things. Like they, this roster is still competitive, and they're going to try and keep that. You know, uh, they're not going to give up on this roster yet, um, and they probably should. They probably shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, but, but they need it, to retool quickly here if they're going to compete with these other teams in the NFC right. who have truly well, and, and, already reloaded. Right, and in any season, you know, you need things to kind of go your way. Health needs to go your way. Uh, For sure. You know, certain bounces and couple games go your way, and that's you know potentially a two to three win swing. Like, there's things that happen every year, and uh, you know, I just it, it seems to me based on their horrendous cap situation that this roster cannot possibly get better going into 2020. And so you're, you're going to put a lot of pressure on your coaching staff, which is going to be reconfigured to kind of maintain that, you know, success rate from 2020, which ended in a 10 and six season. Uh, so it's could have been knows, 11 and five, uh, but could have been 11 and five could have been, uh, you know, we can look back and there's a lot of close games. That's, we will that's do the that. point though. We will do that's that. That's the point is you're looking at this now. You're kind of hoping a, the coaching staff isn't like completely, you know, overwhelmed, but also, you know, maybe this year a couple more games go your way and that changes things to, you know, what should be maybe an 8-8 eight and eight team ends up with 10 or 11 wins. You know, that there's a lot more we can talk about, but that's just my initial thought is I don't see this roster, this team, uh, objectively being any better next season. Absolutely. Uh, one final note here and then we'll close this thing out. Uh, Wade Phillips reportedly is in the discussion to be Kevin Stefanski's defensive coordinator. So my immediate question to that I, I is... I mentioned that today, too. I think that'd be sweet. That w- because... Okay, that would be sweet, and that's a perfect combination to have, you know, an older, smart, like, more wiser um, individual to kind of pair with the young Wonderkin style. Yeah. That seems to work out pretty well. Head coach experience, too, and he wasn't, like, a terrible head coach, either. No, he wasn't. He just loves being a defensive coordinator. Um, <laughs> but this is my question that comes off of that is, what if George Edwards decides to part ways with the Vikings, decides that he doesn't even want to indulge in a potential, you know, contract extension at the defensive coordinator spot, loses out on this job to like where he kind of felt like the, you know, the strongest candidate for that position was Stefanski. Where does he go? Because his, mm-hmm. his career is interesting. Like he's hasn't been a play caller since he arrived. He's been very solid, but there's no, like he can't put anything on paper that doesn't also have Mike Zimmer's name right next to it. You know, and he also has, you know, he had the, the DUI in the past, which I think is a big piece of what's holding Eric Bieniemy uh, back in Kansas City. You know, mm-hmm. you have to wonder what happens to Jordan Edwards' career now if he isn't the defensive coordinator in Cleveland. Just something to keep an eye on for your former Vikings coaches um, and kind of where they go next. But uh, that would be interesting, and I would really like to see that that Phillips-Stefanski pairing. That might be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, any final thoughts before we close this thing out? Uh, I do want to just like, I think we didn't, you know, a lot of what we talked about with Stefanski in this show was this 49ers game. 
And right. I also kind of want to make the same point about him the way I did with Kirk. And like, you know, when you talk about extending Kirk, it's like a large sample, right? You're not right. talking about one game or one performance. With Stefanski, I think you got to look at the whole season, um, whole sure. 2019 season as offensive coordinator. Uh, he took an offense, passing offense in particular, that was very inefficient in 2018. Um, and, you know, with a weak offensive line, and he was able to kind of hide a lot of weaknesses throughout the season and really put together Kirk's most efficient season as a passer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, and a lot of that, obviously the influence of Kubiak and the, the zone running and the play action and stuff, I get it. But uh, Stefanski was calling the shots, and, you know, this offense was, given the circumstance, weak offensive line, you're losing Adam dealing for half the season. Uh, you know, all things considered, that's it's pretty stellar what he did. He did a really nice team. job. So for sure. uh, he deserves that chance. I think he probably deserved it before, honestly, because uh, the fact that he's able to survive Childress, uh, Frazier, and then into Zimmer, you know, and stick on the staff like that, that doesn't happen very often. Not just stick, but move up within the staff. Right, and move up. That yeah. doesn't happen very often. It's pretty impressive. So he clearly there's something that he's doing right. He's got the right mannerisms, the right people skills, the right whatever it is uh, that seems to – you know, that more than just one coaching staff seems to like. So I think he'll do pretty well in Cleveland, I think. And I'm really rooting for the Browns to kind of, uh, you know, finally make that jump uh, sure. in 2020. But don't – the jump can't be so big, though. Like, don't win a Super Bowl. Like, that would piss, <laughs> that would piss me off. That would piss Fair. a lot okay. of us off, I think. But Win, yeah. like, nine or ten games, get in the playoffs. Maybe win That's a playoff it. game. Something, yeah. something we've done before. Just don't – no Super Bowls. But yeah. okay. All right. that, that seems fair. Um but yeah, congratulations to Kevin Stefanski. That's awesome, and he definitely deserves it. And he took this offense to new heights, and there's a reason why we're talking about maintaining stability on offense as opposed to resetting everything and you know starting over with a completely different offensive scheme. It's because he did do such a great job throughout this offensive season um, for the Vikings. So uh, that's all we got today, folks. As always, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, pretty much everywhere um, that you get your pos- podcast for the most part. Um, Make sure to leave a comment or your thoughts in the Daily Norseman section below if you're listening to this through there. Um, You can also watch us on YouTube and uh, like and subscribe on there as well. So um, like I said at the top, uh, we'll be transitioning to our off-season show uh, beginning with this next episode on Thursday. And then next week's schedule will be a little bit different and we'll update you on that later on this week. So uh, thanks as always for listening uh, and we will catch you guys later on this week. (laughs) 